I think that, I think the one I enjoyed the most was, uh, and I know it's put a lot of pressure on on the World Tour teams in particular, is that compactness of the of the race program and how exciting the racing has been. Just mixing up the fact that you had the, the early season classics run in September and the Volta in November. I mean, who would have thought? But what an exciting set of races that we've had. I mean, I think I sat on the sofa for, for three months watching the Tour de France, the Giro, and then the Walter because you were so intrigued by the way the teams were racing. And I think you've actually seen a, a you know, a transition from these new young riders. They're not afraid to race, you know. And the different style of racing, you know, maybe attacking in twos. And it's something like the old guys are just not used to, you know, the old traditional way of the way you would ride a Grand Tour in particular, um, compared to when you were racing, Bobby, you know, it's like, it's different, it's completely different. And I think that can only be, be a good thing. And that's something that I want to continue to make sure that our guys are aggressive in the style of racing that we, that we have. Um, and, and hopefully I'll be given that opportunity. Life as a pro is tough enough. Running a team is tough enough, but when you're the first person to ever do it, the challenge is exponential. Today's guest has been shattering glass ceilings her whole career, and 2021 will be no exception. Sherry Pridham is our guest this week on Put Your Socks On. Need a last-minute holiday gift idea? Active Pass is the perfect gift for any cyclist on your shopping list, and the best part is there's no shipping involved. You schedule when you want us to send the email to the gift recipient. Loaded with members-only benefits like 1,000-plus training programs, event access, exclusive content, magazines, books, meal plans, healthy recipes, and more, ActivePass is the gift they'll use year-round. We have a special offer for Put Your Socks On listeners. Save 20% on ActivePass gifts now during our last chance holiday gift sales. Visit velonews.com slash ActivePass. That's velonews.com slash ActivePass. And save 20% on ActivePass memberships. Your friends and family will thank you. Offer expires December 24. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton and as always, I am joined by Bobby J. Bobby, how are you, mate? Doing great, Gus. Thanks for asking. Uh, been a little bit of a quick re- week here in Greenville. Got to go out and explore some gravel roads with not one but two current World Tour pros. We had Brent Bookwalter come down from Asheville and Larry Warbass was here as well. So, we had quite the hit squad out there with two current pros, three retired pros, and another buddy of ours that uh, probably wish wishes he would have had a little uh, pedal assist on on that bike of his. But uh, had a, had a great time. Uh, weather's here has still been fantastic. I think it's going to maybe change in the next couple of days, but that's helped keep the the holiday weight off because we all know how cookies and eggnog come around this time of year. And then, yeah, just trying to put those last finishing touches on the old Christmas shopping list. But um, other than that, hey, Gus, with the holidays and all, what's on your holiday wish list? That's a good question, Bobby. Uh, with Well, I think it's well known to our physio listeners, uh, my infatuation with the winter and, uh, and, and winter sports. You know, I was talking about biathlon a few weeks ago. 
my I want to get into fat biking. Uh, it's something I've always been fascinated with. It's the sport of cycling, so you know I'm pretty familiar with turning pedals, um, and it involves the snow. Uh, so you know there's a little bit of a lacking uh, in in snow right now in Colorado. Although I'm hoping that will change come the new year. So yeah, that's the next sport uh, on my list to you know to kind of get into. So that's on my wish list for this year is to is to you know get some fat biking happening. How about you? That's a good question. Now that I've been riding a little bit more and I'm getting older, I'm starting to think of my recovery process after the ride. So I have a few non-sponsored things on my list that I probably shouldn't say right now, but if they're not under the tree, I'm going to be pretty upset with Santa. But yeah, that's a good point. You know, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of our listeners. I mean, it's been a crazy 2020, uh, to say the least. And Hey, this is our last episode of the year and yeah, it's been quite a ride if you know to say the least. And we really appreciate all of our terrific guests that have come on and really truly appreciate all you listeners listening to us two knuckleheads. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. We've had uh, a really interesting year and and making this show has been an absolute pleasure. We've had a, a wide-ranging array of guests. We've been been able to touch on some pretty serious topics uh, and get some really interesting insights into, you know, the mechanics of the sport of cycling in the world of, of, of professional sport, but also to some more lighthearted and, and personal takes on what cycling means to, to people. I think, you know, last week's episode was a perfect example of that. So it has been a real pleasure and we thank, uh, you know, you listeners and, and Valenews for the support uh, to put this show on and, and to do it each week. I'm not going to lie. It's it's a challenge pulling together a show each week, isn't it, Bobby? It it really is. I mean, here we are on our 84th episode, and when you and I were introduced to each other virtually on something that they call Zoom, I don't know, maybe maybe you've heard of it by now. <laughs> uh, I didn't think we were going to go much past 10 episodes, and here we are, 84. And you know, it it looks like there may be some changes coming to to Fizzo in in 2021. There's a lot of stuff to kind of decide. But I just want to say, Gus, uh, for only having met you person to person one time, I really appreciate everything that you've done for Put Your Socks On, the the hot sauce that you've brought to the the podcasts. (laughs) And, you know, if if you are not with us next year or with Put your socks on. I hope you come back anytime you are welcome. I don't even know what's going to go on right now, but I just wanted to take this moment before the show really kicked off to show you my appreciation, not only for doing this with me, being my partner, but just for the person that you are. And um, I'm sure our our listeners agree. Well, mate, thank you. Uh, I really appreciate that. And to echo th- those sentiments, I, uh, as a young kid, Growing up with the, uh, you know, very determined dream to become a professional cyclist, uh, I did watch you quite a bit uh, and and that position on the bike, which hasn't changed, uh, I, I have to say, the silky smooth pedal stroke of, of Bobby J, I was always a big fan and it's been uh, an honor to be able to do this show alongside you and it's been um, really enlightening, insightful uh, to, you know, co-host this show with you and to be able to come at these a lot of these topics from from different perspectives um, and you know agree and disagree but also 
you know, kind of dig a little deeper than perhaps uh, we normally would with some of these guests and some of these topics that we've that we've discussed. So, mate, I uh, yeah, I couldn't thank you enough, and and it has been a real pleasure. And as you as you alluded to. Um, there may be some changes coming uh, to Fizzo show next year. We're in the process of, of working that out. But irrespective of, of what form or, or how the show goes, you know, we will definitely share the commentary booth again in the future. And, and I look very much uh, forward to that. So, yeah, 2021 will be – well, 2020 has been a great year uh, in terms of, you know, uh, being able to put this show on. It's been uh, a light for me uh, in, you know, dark times and I think also to – you know, irrespective of the the challenges that everybody's faced this year, I think there's been a lot of, you know, deeper discussion and more thought given to what we want, you know, our professional sports to be and, and, and who we want our champions to be and how we think about, you know, our role in in as spectators and as and as um and as uh you know, I guess commentators on, on this thing. So I think, you know, from that perspective it's been a very good year for us and I'm very excited for twenty twenty one. Well, we did have some cycling-related news this this past week, and we got to start off with the the cyclocross race over the weekend um, in Namur. It, let's just say it did not disappoint. I mean, that course looked so freaking hard, and you see these guys just you know cruising around it, making a little flub mistake here, and then learning about it and nailing it on the next lap. But um, for me watching both the men's and the women's race, it just made me realize how much I miss fans on the side of the road of those cycle on the side of the course of those cycle cross races. And, and it must be such a different feeling for, for the participants as well. But, you know, you throw in 30, 40, 50,000 Belgian cycling fans on the side of the road. Um, it, it's just a totally different level. But that grudge match that we've been waiting for, you know, that those three big names, Matteo van der Poel, Walt van Aert, and I'm going to call him Tommy P. I think he needs that. You know, we have MV, MVDP and WVA and all these acronyms. We, okay, so Tommy, Tommy P, he was Agreed. hella fun to watch. I mean, talk about young kids not scared of going up against the big boys. I mean, he just went out straight out of the gate. He held on to the lead, putting those guys to the sword, those two big uh, cyclocross studs to the, to the sword. And now he's one of them. And he almost pulled it off. I mean, he faded a little bit in that last lap. So we have to definitely compliment Matteo Vanderpool for riding a beautifully paced, uh, tactically amazing race. Walt Van Aert finished uh, just three seconds behind. And then our, our boy, Tommy P, was uh, in third place 11 seconds behind. Yeah. And I love that we're calling um, VDP and, and, and WVA, you know, the, the veterans when they're still young, like they're still, you know, mid-20s, right? And, and Tom Pidcock's like, you know, throwing it to those guys. So, it's exciting. It's like there's a new generation of the new generation already. Already, um, and I think you know, seeing these guys do both the road and the cyclocross. I know we've lamented about this before, but it's awesome. It is. It's really awesome. And and to your point, there is a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of uh, crowds being able to be back at races with you know the uh, rolling out of the vaccines um, sort of starting in earnest. And uh, so yeah, hopefully we'll be back to that because you know you are right. It is something that we absolutely miss. Um, 
also equally as exciting, a little, little more dominant performance uh, in the women's race there by Lucinda Brandt from the Netherlands uh, over Clara Hossinger uh, from the USA, which was an exceptional ride from her. And then Denise Betsema, uh, another Dutch uh, athlete there, finishing in third. So uh, exciting racing across the board. And great to see our national champion uh, crush such a great result. You know, with everything that's going on, um, nice way to get on the podium and and represent the USA in the in that jersey. I can't imagine how happy she must have felt. Uh, another, some other news. Don't know if this is the biggest surprise, but we had the North American Riders of the Year presented by Velonews. Yeah, we did this week, and to probably no surprise uh, in the men's department, Sepp Koos of the Yellow and Black Yumbo Visma team was uh, the North American Male Racer of the Year. I think anyone who watched uh, any of the Grand Tours this year will wholeheartedly agree that he was one of the most exceptional riders, I think, in the entire peloton, irrespective of uh, of, of nationality, and uh, is a well-deserving winner of, of Velenu's North American uh, Athlete of the Year. In the women's, Lauren Stevens of Tibco Silicon Valley Bank, again, she had an exceptional year, uh, both in the virtual world and in the physical uh, racing world. So it was cool to see an athlete up there in both fronts. You know, we remarked on the World Championships, uh, the eSport World Championships last week. Um, and in the women's, there were a lot more uh, World Tour uh, athletes that were at the pointy end of that race. Um, and then compared with the men, right, there was quite a few wildcard kind of uh, results there, I think. But it was awesome to see her and uh, her race this year and be awarded again with the North American Rider of the Year. So great results there for Sepp Koos and Lauren Stevens, and I'm excited to see what they can do in 2021. And tis the season, you know, it's it's the holidays, the, 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 the team camps are starting to happen, and the new team kits for the 2021 season are starting to be released to the public. And I always get a kick out of this because, you know, when you see it as a first time for, for, for the first time, you think, what were they thinking? <laughs> but then you start to see it more and more a couple of days pass and you're like, well, you know, that's got a chance. But for me, I can never really tell how much I like a cycling kit until I see it in the Peloton, because I think that that jersey that you pick should be very unique to your team, easily easily spotted in the helicopter shots um, on, on TV. So um, the, the, the verdict is still out, but there are a lot of pretty cool jerseys out there for next year. Do you have, do you have any first impressions? Like, you know, first kit you think of that you like? Uh, maybe a little bit biased because Larry Warbass was in town, but the AG2R uh, La Mondiale jersey. At first, I was thinking, what, like, just to have the lettering in a diagonal way? But I have to say it's growing on me, I must admit. Okay, so I was going to say controversial, but that the Citroen AG2R Le Mondial kit is sick. Uh, and I, I think, do you know, Bobby, I think we might be alone in that choice because it's not been a popular kit in the past. The brown, the kind of almost black, but brown nicks that are like, were they meant to be black, but they're brown? Did they do something wrong with the with the sublimation? I'm into it. I like it. I think it's kind of old school and it's kind of weird. And 
you know, looking at the other kits out there, I'm yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, the not to dwell too much on that one team's kit, but I did think that the coolest color that they had on their kit from last year was that light blue, and that's mm. gone. So I'm wondering if that's going to be a good choice down the road or not. And we'll just have to wait until we see it in the Peloton. Then uh, then we can make these uh, these little decisions and determinations. Time will tell. Time will tell. And the last kind of big news from this week, I think, which uh, uh, pertains to another alumni of, uh, of FISO, and that is um, Legion of LA. Uh, it was announced this week that Zwift are going to be the lead sponsor of that team. I don't know if you'd call it title sponsor because they kind of, they have, you know, it's Legion of LA. So I think, I assume they'll be keeping that name. Um, and so there was the announcement that Zwift, which is huge. Um, obviously, Zwift is is a major player in the cycling world. And, you know, that virtual space and that virtual world of racing is not going away anytime soon. Um, so that's really exciting. Maybe not the most exciting part of that news though, but... Uh, is you know Freddie Ovet, former uh, Israel Startup Nation cyclist, and Ty Magna, uh, a veteran of the USA cycling team, have both signed with Legion of LA as well. So, you know, three really big announcements for that team in what you know what has been for them um, a big year. You know, and I think 2021 will only be bigger, and it's going to be really exciting to see what they do, what the Williams brothers can 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 do with uh with with what what is you know the most disruptive, the most interesting, and the most exciting cycling team in the world right now. A hundred percent agree with you there. I mean, when we had Justin on, you know, right at the kickoff of this whole pandemic, you know, things were kind of quiet. But mm. you know, hats off to him, his brother, his entire team, his the the. It, the whole organization, because that's what everybody's talking about now. They have a strong men's team. They have a strong women's team. And, you know, Skylar Schneider told us all about what's going on there. So with with all those signings and, yeah, a guy like Ty Magner, I mean, this guy is phenomenal crit racer and, you know, has European experience, been around a while. Uh, what they're doing is super exciting. And to those of you who don't follow the Williams Brothers or Legion of LA on on social media, you're missing out because these guys are entertaining. And it's the reason why they've gotten to where they are. Their team has grown because they found a way to interact with the people and communicate topics that fans all over the world find interesting. And now they have so many more ambassadors to their brand that this is going to be one of the most talked about teams, if not the most talked about team, both on the male and female front in 2021. And I just cannot wait to have them back on someday. Could not agree more. And speaking of uh, disruptive and and game changes, that brings us to this week's guest, Sherry Pridham. Sherry took the long flight from Cape Town back to her birthplace of the UK at only 18 years of age. She left home in pursuit of a career as a professional cyclist. 14 years later, after a catastrophic hit and run, that professional career was cut short and she found herself on the other side of the car window in the director's chair. Drawing car one at her first race, the Challenge Mallorca, it was, to say the least, a baptism of fire. Not only for the pressure of being car one in the chaos of the convoy and, you know, the Challenge Mallorca is up there with the most chaotic roads, but also because she was the first woman in a predominantly male world of men's professional cycling. 
So after running her own continental team in the UK for 11 years, Sherry closed up shop and took the step with Israel Startup Nation to become the first female director sportif of a men's world tour team. We caught up with Sherry after the conclusion of her first team training camp to talk about her career and her plans for 2021. Today, we have a very special guest. Cherie Pridham is joining us, just getting done with the Israel Startup Nation camp. Sherry, welcome to Put Your Socks On. <laughs> I'm privileged to be here. It's, it's an honor. Thank you. Well, as always, we have just kind of learned who you are and uh, popped up on the radar. I mean, you've been around for a very, very long time. You have tons of experience. But tell us and our listeners how you got into cycling. I, I understand that you had a long career as a rider and then also as a manager. And now, of course, you're the, the first female director sportif on a men's world tour team. So give us the recap of how this all started for you. So I guess uh, I've always been a little bit of a tomboy and I was racing around the uh, the streets on my uh, my rally bicycle. Um, and somebody said, oh, why don't you do a, a race down in Cape Town? It's one of the, I think it's the largest organized, uh, mass organized races in the world. It's called the Argus Cycle Tour. So as an 11 year old, uh, that was my first race. And then things just went from there. I, I won my age category and then won it again the year after that. And then I was completely hooked. I knew exactly that I, what I wanted to do. I was adamant I wanted to be a pro bike rider. And I was born in the UK, but my my father was in the Royal Navy. So we traveled around a fair bit. And uh, so I grew up and went, did all my schooling and uh, university in, in Cape Town. But as soon as I was old enough and had the education box ticked from my parents' side, uh, I was out of there and went back to the UK, left home on my 18th birthday. And I've been back, I think, to see the family probably three or four times in the last 30 years. So um, arrived in the UK, quickly climbed the ladder um, up to, to GB level and then rode my first tournaments as a, a well, feminine, obviously, um, as a as a 19 year old. And uh, I rode professional for, I guess, 14, 15 years on and off with injury and illness. And then, unfortunately, I was involved in a hit and run accident, uh, which finished my career. Um, and then I got into into management. And can you tell me, like, um, what attracted you, I guess, to, to the management side of the sport and to being a director? You know, obviously, you've done this this for a while. I'm I'm interested to hear about that transition as well from being athlete to on the other side of the, on the other side of the car window. Yeah, I was probably a bit lucky because my partner was uh, he was GB junior road coach at the time, so I was traveling a lot and learning a lot from from my partner Eddie. Um, just seeing how he was doing things, and obviously back then it was old school, you know, um, but. Um, the first time I actually drove a team car properly was in 2009. And, and I'll never forget it. He, he, he let me loose in my first UCI race at Challenge Mallorca. And I only went and drew car one. And yeah, car one has a certain <laughs> certain amount of pressure. And I can remember Valverde was there. And oh, man, it was it was it was. Uh, but I took to it, duck to water. I'd never I've never descended with bike riders around me and just 
I thought, yeah, this is this is me. You know, I I love I love this. Um, so 2009 was you know when I was let loose behind the wheel for the first time. And that, I mean, anybody who's ever been in that situation, there's no way to prepare for it. So you being no. able to, you know, lady luck, pull number one, be up there in Challenge Mallorca, which are, let's just say, not the straightest uh, roads and not the best nope. road conditions. You were definitely baptized by by fire there. Sure. I, I, I kind of want to back up a little bit to kind of get an idea of what it was cycling in the UK back when you started compared to now? I mean, there was no Team Sky, there was no Team Ineos, there was no government funding. What was it like for a female cyclist back when when you started? There was pretty much 30, 40 riders at most on a a sort of national level. Um, Most of the time, if you were any good, you needed to compete with the guys anyway. So I raced pretty much all my races with the men. Um, and then I was, I was always driven, you know, I, I rode for GB. I had ambitions of riding on a, on a, on a team. And I I still don't quite know how I, how I got myself there because we didn't have emails in those days. So I must've written letters or something, but I just, I just sort of reached out to the Italian teams, French teams. And, uh, I, I can remember scraping every penny together to get to my first team in Italy. Um, and I, I can remember there was a, there was some communication error. And so I ended up sleeping on the airport on my bike bag for, for a night until the sports director came to pick me up. So that was a bit of a baptism of fire, but I sort of, you know, I think I've always been the type of person, if I want something, I'll swim the earth for it. Um, and that's sort of how my whole career, my whole life has sort of panned out, I guess. Um, and that was my introduction into you know, writing CVs and preparing documents and sending that by post, you know, for, for various teams and, and team managers, you know. Um, so that, yeah, back in the day. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a change of pace going from one side of the barriers to the other. But I'm I'm curious to hear, what does the term director sportif mean to you? And what qualities do you possess that you feel makes you successful at this position? I think... Um, you know, we refer to it as a as a team manager here in the UK. Um, but sports director, director sportive, same thing, depending on where you where you come from. Uh, and I guess it's people management first and foremost, and understanding the position of, uh, you know, how you relay the strategy, the tactics, the logistics. Um, and of course, I've sat on the fence for the last eight, ten years. I've I've owned the team. Um, I've, I've learned the ropes on both sides. So I get to see and manage all the corporate side of things. Um, and then of course, switch the, switch the knob over and then, you know, drive the team car and try and win bike races with it, with a group of guys. Um, but I just, you know, it, like I say, I think it's people management, uh, most of the time. Yeah. It's like hurting cats most of the time, but, uh, oh, yeah. it takes, yeah. it takes a definitely, a, a special personality to do that. But Shelley Versys broke the gender barrier for female soigneurs way back in 1986 with teams like 7-Eleven and Toshiba. Mary Wittenberg was female president at EF Pro Cycling, and now you're the first female DS at a world tour level for a men's world tour team. Why do you think this took so long to happen? 
I think for me, and I can only speak from from a personal point of view, is is gaining the experience. You know, I, I've had to earn the respect, and I think it, you know it's the respect in in cer- certainly a man's world for sure. You know, you've got the traditions of of particularly in France, where it wasn't so long ago that there were actually no females, no women involved in the in the Tour de France at all. Um, but you know, f- for me, it's it's been a long time coming. It's been, uh, yeah, it, just step by step by step, and and just proving that you know not only me but we can do this job. And quite frankly, if you are good enough, whether you're male or female, as long as you're good enough to deliver the job, then why don't you know? Why shouldn't you get the job? It's been typically a man's world, and and I know you were quoted as saying that you're a sports director, not a female sports director. And so I don't, you know, want to necessarily dwell on gender too much here. But you know, as you just said, it's cycling has been a male-dominated sport, and you know, a white male-dominated sport, and it's. You know, over this past year, I think the inclusivity in the sport, and there's been a lot of, you know, uh, I guess discussion around the need for that to in to improve and and for that to be more. So I'm interested to hear, like, over you know the 11 years or so that you've been a director and a team owner, what are the challenges you faced as one of the very few women in the room? And I'm interested to hear if that's progressed. You know, if there's been an improvement in that over the years. Yeah, I mean, for sure. When I first started, it was almost unheard of, particularly here in the UK. I think and I believe I was one of the first female women to to DS a continental team in the UK and drive in the UK peloton, but also in Europe. So I've kind of followed the same the same sort of path all the way through my career. Um, but certainly, you know, some some of the drivers took a while to accept that there was a woman driving a team car, for for instance. And you guys know as well as I do, it's not an easy task driving a team car. You have to have eyes in the back of your head, and you know you have to be properly on it. And you know, like I say to most VIPs that come and join me in the team car, make sure you've got your helmet on because you're in for a ride. You know. Um, but I think for you do have challenges, particularly there's, there's a certain old school um, and I still come up against it nowadays where you have old school guys that find it very difficult to accept a woman in a man's environment. Um, but I, I think unless you, you, you go out there and you prove that you can do it, then their their mindset will change, you know, and I can certainly see that has changed um, over the last four or five years, but it was very difficult driving in the convoy Um in the early days. And I guess like on that point, like why is it important to increase diversity and increase representation in in World Tour Cycling at what is, you know, the most sort of, I guess, um, widely known and publicized area of the sport being, you know, men's cycling and events like the Tour de France and the Giro on that. I'm interested to hear why, why, why that's important and, and I guess why you've persevered so long to achieve that. I don't think I've persevered really, and I and I don't mean this from a, from a a big head point of view. I've just always gone with the flow, and I've just taken each day as a new day, and and I've always the attitude that you know, if if not, why not? You know, if my philosophy is you you only live once, so you've got to live your life, and uh, and you know, as much as my partner hates me saying that, why not? You know, just just crack on and do what you can but I'm, I'm just delighted you know that I've, I've I've opened doors for 
apparently opened the doors for, for many people just to, to go out there and say, look, you know, you can do it. Never, ever, ever give up, you know, just keep, you know, everything is possible. And if you really believe that you can do it, then just get out there and get it done. And, and you've done it. I mean, you're here now and you've just returned from the Israel Startup Nation, uh, I would guess, winter training camp. What can you share with us about what you guys were up to there? Because, man, there's there's got to be a million things to think about these days. Oh, for sure. And, and, and I can see it from the perspective, again, from owning a team and being a, and being a team manager for one. But just, you know, they have exactly the same issues as I had running a continental team, you know, issues with equipment deliveries, clothing not being delivered on time, uh, you know, sorting riders out, visas, and the whole, the whole thing is exactly the same as to how I would run my continental team, except at will tour level. It's just a mahoose of massive big, you know, challenge, but they face the same challenges as, as I did. What I noticed when I walked in, um, to the meeting for the first time was, and obviously it was like walking into a new class and, and a little bit of apprehension, a little bit of nervousness, but they, the sports directors there and the team, you know, the team managers, head DSs, Rick Verbrugger, those guys, they just made me feel at home straight away. So I felt comfortable as soon as I sat down, but we were straight into, you know, race planning. And, and what, what was alarming for me was, how much input we all had in terms of selecting the riders for specific races and then trying to understand the transition from early season races into, into the classics and into the grand tours and how the whole season just sort of ebbs and flows. Um, and also trying to understand how the different DSs work. So some races we'll have one DS, some there'll be DS one, DS two and, bigger the bigger races ds1 ds2 ds3 and what those ds's do and so sort of i've been used to doing absolutely everything from logistics and stuff and tactics and strategies and the whole bang shoot but we all share that and i found that quite quite interesting and still something that i'm i, I need to get my head around because i've got to understand you know who does what and there's there's sort of 72 staff members on on the team and 32 riders so it's still a little bit kind of who does what you know so that was quite you know that was quite interesting just sitting down with the guys and compared to running your own team you just said 72 staff members 32 riders what was what was the size of your staff i guess when you were running the show so when we had the bigger budget shall we say with team rally uh we had two mechanics two full-time mechanics uh two full-time swaniers or carers as they call them now but for something like Tour de France or Tour in Normandy, the, those kind of bigger races that we that we do, I'd have up to eight to ten staff members. But traditionally, we'd go to a race or two day race, and you'd have one mechanic, one Swanee, and myself. And in fact, the early days, I'd even do America, Canada, and Mexico with eight riders, sixteen bikes, so time trial bikes, and 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 the whole bang shoot, just myself, one mechanic, and the Swanee. Um, and we managed in those days, but God, we certainly couldn't, I don't think we could manage that now because it seems to be that the riders need a lot more hands-on from, from so many staff members. But it's bonkers when you think about how we managed just six, seven years ago to, to how many staff members you need now. I think it's like two staff members per rider at the moment. 
you know, what is your role? What races are you looking after? And and I guess, you know, how has that role kind of been more defined compared to what it was when it was a, a do-all um, yeah. to, to sort of nowadays where you've got resources at your hands and, and, and specific tasks? Yeah, so it's a bit like I guess how I how I look at it is like a junior or a or a an under a junior going into under twenty three. So sometimes a junior bike rider doesn't really know what type of rider he is yet. And for me, I know where I'm good at. So obviously I enjoy stage racing, and the more technical the race, the more I I sort of thrive on that technical sort of you know circuit. I don't know circuit stuff or. Perry roubaix the more technical races I'm really, really hyped for. You know, I'm super pumped to do those. But also to, to do the stage races. But I've got to learn which ones I'm going to be best at. But I think what, um, what the DSs and general managers have done with me is just given me a range of right across the board. So I've got a full of stage races, a couple of single-day races. And I get to do DS1 ds2 ds3 right across the board so that i can learn those roles super quick um which which is nice and i can sort of see where they're guiding me to and my my dream is to ds at tour de france you know straight out is that's what i want to do i've always said that i want to lead a, tour, a team at the tour de france or or a or a grand tour and hopefully that won't be too you know too far away but you you've already you know here you are in the world tour and you know you having run your your own team which was closed after a successful uh what would you say virtual season due to yeah. the you know calming funding issues and you know yeah. this issue that we've been talking about over this last uh this last season um but we haven't discussed the issue at the continental level what is the situation like now for those teams in the continental level i mean we're always talking about world tour but you having so much experience there, what what is that situation like currently? I think for for me for for my teams, it's it's finding the consistency and that that sustainability in in one or two partners that will give you a two or three year deal because otherwise you're constantly in that fight from year to year trying to survive. Um, and to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I really looked at changing my position because doing this for the last four years has got you know so so difficult to do and the fight and the drive to keep fighting for sponsors is it's just something that you get mentally tired from you know and um and that was one of the reasons why i you know i decided to shut the team down bar the fact that we lost a sponsor late on um and and also the whole COVID pandemic thing, you know. So there were about three or four reasons why I wanted to, you know, or, or why it felt right at the time to to close the door after this year. But it, it is a constant fight for sustainability. And the and here, particularly in the UK, the race organisers are struggling for sponsorship. And so it's a it's it's kind of a vicious circle, you know. Those guys need support. It's it's more expensive for a continental team to race in the UK than it is for me to take. It's far cheaper for me to go to Europe and race than it is to stay in the UK. But with the pandemic this year, that was almost twofold, you know, because the UK teams couldn't go out of, of the UK because our insurances wouldn't cover that. Um, and it, it was just a constant fight, really. And like Bobby highlighted, um, you know, he and I have looked at at this issue, you know, 
quite a bit over the past 12 months because I think that the, the pandemic has really highlighted some flaws in in the funding system, the funding model yeah. of, of the sport of, of professional cycling, which has been spoken about, you know, to no end. But one thing we haven't touched on and, and one thing that um, uh, is, you know, really interesting and, and the opportunity to talk to you is is really interesting is, is at those lower levels, that continental level, that pro-continental level. And I'm interested to hear why are those levels so important for the sport as a whole? You know, what do you see the role of, of continental teams in regards to, you know, the quality of the fields at the Tour de France in X number of years' time? Um, because yeah. they're at risk. Those teams are, are disappearing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, from my point of view, it's it's all about development. And for, for my team in the UK, it was always that progressive development. So I was always probably best at looking after uh, – a group of younger riders with that aim and ambition to step up to pro continental or wheel tour. And to a point, I would say up to 2017, we did that quite successfully. I always had one rider where I put into the next level. So that was sort of box ticked for me because that's what it's all about is, is rider development. But because the scene here in the UK was more and more difficult in terms of, in terms of attracting younger riders, those younger riders were actually leaving the UK and going to Belgium and France and, and Holland because their opportunities were far better. And you, and you see a lot of British riders actually fight, if they're not on the, on the um, GB pathway in terms of track racing or, or that sort of pathway, then they'll go out and find their own contracts abroad. And, and, and pick their own way, sort of, you know, the types like Adam Blythe and, and various other riders that didn't go down the GB way. So it's kind of a, it's a kind of a balance between the two. And, and I think um, you need to have an attractive race plan, a race calendar as well for those young riders, because at the end of the day, that's what we want to do, you know, is, is race our bikes. Um, and, and, and again, that was more and more difficult at the back end of, say, the last three years. And I'm interested to hear, like, is there anything that can, I mean, and, and, and this is by no means a, an extensive answer, but like I'm interested to hear if you, if like what are the things that can be done or should be done um, in order to improve racing at a domestic level? Like, you know, we're seeing it here in the US, you know, a lot of the, the, the teams that have been around forever are, are disappearing or they're moving, you know, to Europe, as you said. I'm interested mm -hmm. to hear your thoughts on, on what can be done to kind of save or salvage some of these domestic scenes. Yeah, I think the whole thing with and, and e-racing has come into, especially with this year, we we sort of started almost on the front foot because we agreed even before we knew what COVID and the pandemic was that pandemic was all about, uh, was to have a team racing on on Zwift. And so we were already invited in that and we had a team that was riding that. But of course when when we went all went into lockdown, that is what we did. So I mean, I, I even had to go and start learning what Zwift was all about because how could I give the guys tactics if I didn't know anything about it? So, you know, it was a, sort of a, a crash course in how to ride Zwift and how to race in, on Zwift personally and, and resurrected my 20-year uh, uh, career on Zwift. But um, I think we did we did things with our partners and sponsors like group rides and group meetups and we did some we, we raised funds for our charity calm uh mental health charity that we supported this year uh and of course all the zoom meetings with the guys became something that we did once a week and and in fact 
the whole thing changed to this online kind of, I don't know, thing that everybody seemed to do. But it brought a lot of attention to um, certain partners that we had that, um, you, you know, almost invite people to, to or have a paywall email. So we were looking at having a paywall there maybe on, on Twitch or on YouTube to try and generate some funds for, you know, for the team that way. Um, so we did that. And I think the other thing that we were looking at doing was uh, gravel racing, mountain bike racing. So having the whole team maybe being a bit diverse and dipping into the old sort of EF education style of, of doing things and, and just having everybody do different things, you know, to try and generate a fan club because the, the way the racing is now in the UK particularly is just the whole scene is broken. And I, I'm assuming it's the same in, in the States as well. Uh, but it's not going to change overnight. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it is a little broken at the moment at that domestic level, I think pretty much everywhere. You know, you don't see mm. many under 23 races. You don't see many junior events, things like that. But, you know, with, with the races, the biggest, some of the biggest races in the world, the, the Santos Tour Down Under, the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, and now the Tour of Columbia being canceled yeah. already. How do you see the race calendar being affected in Europe as we start to come out of this pandemic and these vaccines are administered? Yeah. Um, in fact, we we had a team meeting today uh, on, on Zoom, and, and I think the racers are going to have to find a way of containing the, the bubbles, if you like, within teams to allow sport to sport to continue so I, you know i'm hearing things like you know covid tests pcr tests being done pre during and and post depending on how long the stages are uh, teams actually not going down to eat as as a group at meal times but maybe maybe eating in their in their respective rooms and um i i think the whole approach to uh team is, is going to be different for the first part of the year while everything starts to sort itself out. Uh, and, and then, cause we, you know, we, we don't know when we're going to get this vaccine. Um, uh, you know, can, can our team doctors, can the team pull it together at training camp and give us all a vaccine? Who knows, you know, because at the end of the day, we have to get our hands on that vaccine. Um, but, you know, as a team, we just have to be as healthy as, as we possibly can and, and, and take all the, all the necessary precautions, you know, masks, wash your hands and all that, that we now come accustomed to. And is there anything to be learnt from, from this year and I guess, you know, progressing into next year? You mentioned a few things that you were doing with your previous team as yeah. a result of the pandemic to sort of generate interest and generate engagement. I'm interested to hear going forward, um, are there things that you've picked up this year from a promo level, from a sporting level, from a training level, anything that can be applied, you know, in the future years, um, both for athletes and, and you yourself as a director? I think I think the one I enjoyed the most was, uh, and I know it's put a lot of pressure on on the World Tour teams in particular, is that compactness of the of the race program and how exciting the racing has been. Just mixing up the fact that you had the, the early season classics run in September and the Volta in November. I mean, who would have thought, but what an exciting set of races that we've, I mean, I think I sat on the sofa for, for three months watching the Tour de France, the Giro, and then the Volta 
because you were so intrigued by the way the teams were racing. And I think you've actually seen a, you know, a transition from these new young riders. They're not afraid to race, you know, and the different style of racing, you know, maybe attacking in twos. And it's something like the old guys are just not used to, you know, the old traditional way of the way you would ride a Grand Tour in particular. Um, compared to when you were racing, Bobby, you know, it's like, it's different. It's completely different. And I think that can only be, be a good thing. And that's something that I want to continue to make sure that our guys are aggressive in the style of racing that we, that we have. Um, and, and hopefully I'll be given that opportunity. And that truncated season really produced some of the best racing. Like you said, I was stuck to my couch for three months straight. Um, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever watched so much cycling and just been in awe of what these young guys are doing. Yeah. Um, like, like you said, you know, when, when you truncate the whole season into just a couple months, uh, it see, seems like that intensity level and that focus and that determination just went to a totally different level that we may have to kind of feather back from now, if we do get this, this season kind of back to that old school pattern, right? Yeah. But yeah. so let's fast forward to the end of a hopefully uninterrupted 2021 season. What would have to happen in order for you being a first year DS at this level and your team, Israel Startup Nation, to consider it a success? I mean, let's there's a lot going on with your team. You have a lot of incredibly <laughs> big riders coming to your team. Um, you had a very successful season, but with all these changes and that step up to the next level on, on many different platforms, what would you consider it success? I think first and foremost is we've got to start right from January and work together as a team because you know, from, from management to mechanics to, to Swaniers to doctors to riders, everybody has to be on the same page and understand that every race that we're going to, we now potentially could take a race winner or a, or a solid result, shall we say, at each one of those races, be it classics, be it stage races and, and so on. So um, I get that we potentially still a little bit of a dark horse in terms of, you know, where we are maybe with Chris Froome's um, progressive um, form, you know, coming back from that big accident he had. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of focus on, on the likes of Mike Woods and Seb Bermark and Dan Martin. So there's a lot of opportunity there, I think. Um, and, and not forgetting the younger riders, you know, that it's their development as well. And I think, uh, you know, if we, if we can podium in a Grand Tour um, and, you know, stage, stage wins, um, I think all the team wants and all the management wants is, is another year of progression in the right direction. And finally, after, you know, obviously an unpredictable and unprecedented year, what do you think 2021 will bring both, you know, on a competitive level, a racing level of cycling, which you sort of just alluded to, but also to the sport as a whole? You know, we're seeing a huge influx of people buying riding bikes you know some for the first time in in you know a long long time um so i'm interested to hear what your 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 sort of outlook is for for 2021 and beyond for the sport and the and the recreation of cycling well i think because of covid and the pandemic i think um I, well i believe from what i'm hearing particularly here in the uk that that 
the industry has done very, very well. But it's going to take time before that trickles back down into the sport, you know. But I'm hoping that, you know, the traditional bike suppliers are going to come back in there with, you know, sort of bigger, bigger amounts of cash, better support with equipment. So, but we, we you know, we'll see this. It goes in circles, doesn't it? And we've seen good times and through the 70s and then the 80s and, and then it's dipped out in the 90s and then we've come back strong in the 2000s. But I'm hoping that the, the fact that we've seen so much sport going on and people riding bikes in particular is going to trickle down to us and, and then that fan base is going to come back to to the sport because that's what's important. You know, the sport the sport is, particularly cycling, is all about the fans. Well, that's for sure. And uh, Sherry, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I know you've been in a lot of these Zoom calls, uh, <laughs> so probably we'll we'll let you go. But all the best to both you personally and your entire team. It's going to be hopefully a very successful season. And it sounds like you guys have laid down that groundwork to to make it happen. Yeah, for sure. And just want to say thank you very much for the support and the uh, it's very much appreciated, you know, um, although it's been been all the attention's been a little bit new me and a little bit strange, but um, I really appreciate the support. Thank you, guys. And that's it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And thanks again to Sherry Pridham for joining us. You can find all of our past episodes as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at velonews.com. Please continue to listen, like, and subscribe at whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. We appreciate your support, and please spread the word by telling your friends about us. You can get at us on social media at Fizzopod on Twitter or at that is Gus and at bobby.julik on Instagram. Reach out to us there. Suggestions, feedback, just say good day, whatever you want, really. Uh, you know, we'll probably answer. Until next year, not next week. Uh, so until next year, thank you so much for listening. Uh, and we, again, appreciate your support. My name is Angus Morton. And I'm Bobby Julik. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And just reminding you, Please stay safe, stay sane, stay calm, and don't forget to put your socks on.
Nice. Nice.